where to start. I actually do have, by the grace of God, a, um, uh, a sermonette <laughs> to, to present, and I pray that it will be faithfully uh, profitable because we know the scripture is always profitable for many, many things. And the word is the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And so with that, I ask that you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17. So, um, you know, we always talk about God is all-knowing and all-present. They got these big theological words, omnipresent, omnipotent. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Um, and he knows all things. And, and so one of the things that we've been talking about in the, the feedback sessions, and I hope that everyone would read the email uh, push that Matthew sends out. It's really very good, and there's links to a lot of things. Um, and so one of the things was in the feedback was um, the daily personal devotion. That daily personal devotion, as I told the Sunday school class, is not for the elders to beat up on people or somebody else to beat up on. It's for you to commune and get closer to God. Because the scripture says, I know the thoughts I think of you, the thoughts of good and not of evil to bring you to a desired end. And I know that I'm thinking for your best. He knows that we are weak and fallen vessels. And so about this long-winded thing is the elders are doing everything that we are asking you to do. And so in my personal devotion, I was reading verse 17, and I was having a hallelujah chorus. Little did I know that, and that was Wednesday or Thursday. It runs together. But little did I know that this is the genesis for what I would be talking about this morning. And so I did it out of selfishness so that I could get closer to my God. But God knows the future. And here I am expanding upon it because I read all of First Timothy after I had my wonderful time with the Lord over verse 17. Because I bought, so to show you how spiritual I am, I have a journal from 2006 that had daily readings, and I had not written a thing in any of it. But it was given to me as a Christmas present. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, this year after reading and Thinking about it, I said, well, I got that book. And in the back, I have a bunch of passwords. But I never used it for anything else. So I opened it up. And look at all these blank pages. And it's 2006. I said, okay, I'll just scratch it out. No problem. And I started filling it in. And so 2006, what, 10, 12 years old, 12 years, that book. And I hadn't filled anything out on it, folks. The point is... Do it 
for yourself and for God, not to go around and tell people, I read all these verses. Because I had the book, but it didn't do me any good, did it? Because I hadn't filled it out. I hadn't even read it. It's up in the back where I had a bunch of passwords. So the point of that is to encourage you to get something that you will do that will allow you to plug into God. It's not for us. It's for you and for you and God. So we're going to be handing you back those sheets. Take a look at them again and think about it. You know, if you said, I'm going to read all the Bible, okay, but is reading all the Bible going to help you connect and commune with God, or is that just something you write down because you think somebody else wants to give you an attaboy? It should be something that you will do that will strengthen you in your walk with Christ. Because every one of us is an individual and God has a plan for every person. And so don't look of it, don't look at that sheet as uh, a checklist. Look at it as a way for you to hold yourself accountable and anybody you tell. Because if you don't tell anybody what you're going to do, then nobody knows it but you and God. But I would implore, I would um, exhort you to tell somebody so somebody can just say, hey man. How you doing on that? You said you were going to read one verse a day. You know, are you keeping up with it? No, not. Okay, well, why don't you get back on it? You know, a word of encouragement. I told the story. I paid for Gold's Gym, and I haven't been going. <laughs> but I'm getting better. So we're all fallen humans, but God so loved us. And so... Don't look at that sheet as a, a, a hammer as much as it is a way for you to grow in grace and to, to strengthen yourself with Jesus Christ. So with that, as Pastor Barney and Lyon would say, that's for free. Didn't cost you anything. Um, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 17, and then I'm going to exp expositorily expand on it. It may not be so good. I hope that it's um, okay, but the word of God is never a waste, if nothing else, if we just read it. So, Paul is writing here and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy for all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering 
as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Uh, so in these verses and in this introduction, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor. And first and second Timothy, the background is to help a young pastor who he had put out to go organize and get the work going. Here's pastoral advice. But it's more than just pastoral advice. It is Paul, who is an apostle, conveying the mind of God to Timothy in a way that was instruction for him and for all of us who would come after. So one of the things that we... I think because we are so blessed in America, take for granted is the reading and the availability and the access to the word of God. It's because we've been so blessed as a nation. I think we kind of take it for granted. But if you think of the setting this letter was trying to make its way around to all the saints. And God had just started this new thing called the church. And he had just started this new means to get back to God. And that is his son dying on the cross. You know, 2,000 years later, it seems old hat to us. But it really wasn't old hat. It was revolutionary. It was new. It was unique. And it had never been done before. And it was the, 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 the accumulation of the sin that was brought into the world by the first Adam in the garden and the remedy to that sin which was Jesus Christ, the promise. The promise in Genesis was the destroying of Satan and salvation to the whole world. And so what does that look like? What does that promise look like, especially for the Jews who are getting out of Judaism and then especially for those who had never heard this before, the Gentiles. So what, is it, what does it all mean? How does, it, how does this work? How does this work out? Is this just another story? Or is this something that is important? And to the people like Timothy who had to go and implement it and proclaim the gospel and set up bodies and churches of believers, what do we do? How do we make it work? So in here, Paul starts with the basis. 
he goes back to the basis and he says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So I like how Brother Joe would say and the pastor would say, if I was to title this lesson, the gospel and broken vessels. God appointed broken vessels whom he knew in advance that would be faithful to the charge that he gave. So think about this. God, who is all-knowing, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus in verse 12, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. There's a couple things that you can see out of this in 1 Timothy chapter 12 is that Christ Jesus enabled Paul. Paul did not enable himself. Paul did not work himself to be in the ministry. Paul did not anything. Christ enabled him. And why did Christ enable him? Because Christ, who is God, knew that Paul would be faithful when he put him into the ministry. So for those of those who have gone to school and this predestination and all of that, well, God's foreknowledge knew that Paul would be a faithful minister and God equipped Paul to be in the ministry. Paul was a Pharisee, but that doesn't mean he was equipped to be in the ministry. He knew a lot of Bible, but that doesn't mean he was equipped. The equipping came from God, not from Paul's study. Knowledge came from his study, yes. But there's lots of people with knowledge. I read a book on how to rebuild an engine and then I messed up my engine <laughs> I had knowledge but I screwed it up so bad it wasn't funny I ended up having to have it towed and having a new short block put in it that's how bad I messed it up so was I equipped not really. I had knowledge, but I didn't really know how to do something. So I took it to a mechanic who had both parts. <laughs> he had the knowledge and he was equipped. <laughs> that's, that's a silly example, but it is one that came to my mind on short notice. On verse 13, we see, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly and unbelief. There's a lot in this verse. Paul, by his own admission, was not a choir boy. Paul, by his own admission, by the writing of the Holy Spirit, would not be qualified 
if you go by some denominational standards to be in the ministry. Paul, if you read in other places, was directly responsible for the death of a number of people. So could you see in our modern time a convicted murderer? Because that's what he did. Standing up in an American pulpit, can you see the headlines? I mean, that's what he was, folks. He was a persecutor. He got letters from the government to go out, round up people, and put them to death. Let that sink in. He was not a choir boy. He was not, by earthly standards, a good man. Do you know what insolent is? That is a hard, hard word. That is a, a powerful word that describes the character of someone who know it all, don't mind telling you, and will step on you if you get in their way. That was the man that God chose and put in the ministry. There was no vote among people. God said, you're my man. Go back and read the story in Acts. But he says, I obtained mercy. Because he didn't get it by merit. Through the writing of the Holy Spirit, he said, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul was a Pharisee. He had, he had the Old Testament. He had a lot of knowledge, but he was ignorant. And he was unbelieving that God would work through the means that he chose by bringing Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So he had a lot of knowledge, but he was ignorant. So let us be careful about knowledge. The wrong, you know, knowledge is fine, but as I told about the engine, I had a lot of knowledge, but I sure did make a mess of it. In verse 14, we see, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are Christ Jesus. Grace is God's undeserved, unearned, freely given favor. So deep and wide and expansive is grace that we cannot comprehend it. We cannot comprehend the breath the height, the depth. I said, you know that, you know that math? You ever look at that math formula for a cube? You know, and they, they got this, like, and then they start measuring all the guts inside, and doesn't it drive you crazy if you're not a math person, you know? It's like, how do you get your hands around all of that? How do you conceptually, you know? I used to hate, well, I like geometry, but I hated trigonometry when you're trying to, you know, I always just got, 
an educated F, which is a D. <laughs> because those concepts are just so above my thinking. Well, God's grace is so above our own thinking and our own comprehensive comprehension. Sometimes because we come to church every Sunday and we, we spend a lot of time reading verses, we, we, we still fail to get in here how big grace is. I mean, it is big. And we, 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 we miss it. We just miss it. I miss it. I miss it. I love my dad and 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 in the and in that method of parenting, you know, my dad would always say, or my mom, well, I knew my mom, like Pastor Ryan said, I knew my mom couldn't hurt me, but he said, You can't stand the beating you deserve. And then sometimes I want to say, mm-hmm. But I kept my face short because my dad was six foot something, and when he hit you, he sent you to next year. And so my mom was only like here, but when dad got home, the beatings began. So it's like, okay, you know, six boys. She was tough. She was tough. I mean, she didn't take any prisoners either. But um, it's a humorous story, but we really can't. We really can't fathom what we deserve as sinners. We actually don't. I just don't think we appreciate it. You know, James says we look in the mirror and we see what manner of man we are. But as soon as we turn away from the mirror, we almost instantly forget what kind of person we were. That's how powerful the brain is to, to delusion itself. The brain can rationalize anything given enough time. They will, the brain, us, me, any of us, can come up with an excuse. We just, just give us enough time. The court is full of lawyers figuring out excuses. That's the American system. Then we look at verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, oh man. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Christ, Christ Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So in these two verses, we see that the gospel at its core is the fullness and the power of God for all that we need. You know, we've been, some people think it's like hobby and horse on the gospel, but the gospel is the core power if you're thinking of splitting the atom for a nuclear explosion, very simple. But breaking apart that atom 
unleashes power that is phenomenal. Phenomenal in its destructiveness. The gospel is that same power to unshackle our hearts and blow away everything that has bonded us to sin. The simple message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's the gospel. God so loved the world in John 3.16 that he gave his only begotten son to die naked, beaten, and whooped up on the cross for us. That's it. That is the gospel. God saw that we were pathetic people who could not save ourselves, fix ourselves, or do anything on our behalf. And he came down in the form of his son. He took our whooping. He died. And God rose him again to be proof that he has the power to save. He took all of that on him for us. Not all the theology and all the other stuff. The core nugget of splitting that atom and blowing it apart was Christ on the cross paying for what I should have paid for. Just that simple. Don't overthink it. It is just that simple, but it is just that powerful. That is the only hope that you have for whatever ails you. Pick it. Don't know what the subject is, but that is the only hope. That is the only means, the only way, the only anything. And Paul said, I am the chief sinner. And yet God plucked him up and used him to write what? Seven-eighths of the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? He took a murderer and used the power of the gospel to help turn the world upside down. Is you couldn't make that up. That is awesome, folks. That is, it's mind-blowing. If you really let it sink into your soul, what you have by accepting Jesus as your Savior. It says here in one of my notes that This is a pattern, and that pattern is just that, the long-suffering of God to bear the burden on the cross is that pattern that would be used to tell people after Paul died 
and more people and more people and more people and more people over and over again. That core gospel nugget, the pattern of the long suffering of Christ dying on the cross, paying for our sin and then offering it freely because he did all the work. We have to repent and agree that we are good for nothing. And that Christ is the only remedy for that problem. It says here in my notes that 185 times in the New Testament, cross work on the cross was the sole basis for our salvation. And it's repeated in different forms 185 times. So if something is repeated 185 times, what do you think, folks? Do you think that's important? Looking around, I don't see anybody men with long hair, so I can use this as an example. Long hair was only mentioned once. The gospel and Jesus dying on the cross is referred to 185 times. So which one do you think is important? I'll let you answer that question. 185, one time. You choose. So the long-suffering of Christ is the pattern that we have that hope to tell people that it is never too late. Satan Biggest power is to make you think that it is too late, that you're too bad to be saved. I've done too many things wrong. I've waited too long. I, 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 whatever, pick, pick, pick it, doesn't matter. Satan wants you to think that it is too late. Yet the power of the gospel it's like a nuclear bomb, the biggest nuclear bomb there is. And his power is greater than Satan's deception. And is freely offered. And each and every one of you are a carrier of that good news. Whether you go to work, you go to school, you go to Giant, you go here, you go there. You are the carrier of that explosion. Doesn't mean you going and thumping people with the Bible and all that. It just means you have the knowledge of the truth. You, 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 every one of you have the knowledge of the truth of the power that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners to make a way. You have that nugget. You have that one atom that if they opened up and exploded, will Turn the world upside down. It's in each and every one of you who have made a profession of faith and know Jesus as your personal Savior. Lastly, the verse that I had that kind of gave me my hallelujah course on that Wednesday or Thursday was it's, it's poetry. As I get older, I get really soft-headed, even though my wife says I'm kind of mean, but that's okay. 
She gets to say that. That's okay. Um, this is a verse that brings tears to my eyes. Because in my weak state, in my fallen, helpless, baby state, there is a king who is my anchor and my rock, who will never fail me, who will never leave me, who will never forsake me, who will never anything. Because he died for me. He said, I know the thoughts I think of you, the thoughts of good and not evil to bring you to a desired end. He says, who can separate you from me? Can death, can the future, can the past, can your sin, can your whatever separate you from me? No. Because I hung on the tree for you. I bled and died for you. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from me. I love you. I died for you. And I will always love you. And he says in verse 17. Now to the king. To the king. Who is immortal. All powerful. All knowing. All able. My hope is in that king. Who can never be destroyed. Who can never be changed. Who can never turn his back on me. He is my hope. He is my rock. He is my everything. And he will never change. So when I screw up, Jesus is right there. When I let you down, Jesus is right there. When I tell a lie because I'm scared and a chicken, Jesus is right there. When I misspeak, when I, whatever, when I get selfish and I get scared or whatever it is, Jesus is right there. Standing there with his nail print hands. He loved me. And that's all right. That's all right. Because I can go back to my father. And he said, come on. Yeah, I know you screwed up. And yeah, you're going to have to pay the price in an earthly well because you made some bad choices. You spent your money wrong. You did something else. But I love you. And you're going to always come home with me. You're going to be with me forever. So when I'm laying down here dying, don't worry. I got your back. You're coming with me. So all the other junk that you've done don't matter. I paid it. So that was my hallelujah chorus. And I hope that you would look at that and think about what we're trying to do, which is help you with your relationship with Christ. That's what Paul was here telling Timothy. God did this for me. Timothy, now you go do that for them. 
God picked me up and you go pick them up. Not in your power, but in the power of Jesus Christ. Not in your flesh, but in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Not in your works, but in my works. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the king. Who is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You cannot get away from the king. The king will be here forever. So think about that, folks, as you think about the things that make sense. I know tomorrow I'll be here like a freight train. It always is. And all the stupid stuff that you have to deal with. But think about you have the king. You have the power of Jesus Christ. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He promised that. And if he promised it, he can do it. Because he came back alive again to prove that I got the power. So it is seven minutes till. Have a song. I don't want to cry anymore. Thank you very much.